It's the News Roundup, where we discuss the region's top stories of the week. And with us this week, Ann Brennan, Assistant Managing Editor of Digital Media at the Cape Cod Times. Morning, Ann. Morning, Mindy. And Laura Reckford, Editor of the Barnstable Enterprise. Morning, Laura. Morning, Mindy. Drug lab scandal is resulting in some legal complexities, especially when we've uh, seen some people deported because of drug convictions uh, that and that, that could be overturned. And this is, I, I think, something we sort of were expecting to hear about. Right. This was, um, as you know, the result of the crime lab scandal where a chemist, Amy, excuse me, um, Annie Dukin, allegedly mishandled about 64,000 drug uh, samples. And this is, you know, we've seen people, uh, their uh, prison uh, sentences have been stayed and other things um, as this has unfolded. And now, like you say, we're getting into some of the more complex situations, like the case of Robert Marcelino, who was 34 in 2010, when he pleaded guilty to uh, cocaine uh, possession of cocaine with intent to distribute. And um, because of that, pleading guilty to that, he was deported to Brazil, where he had not been in 24 years. He was 10 years was old 10, when yeah. he moved here. And now that um, his case apparently was the, the evidence was handled by chemist Dukin, and um, it's not clear, does it with this stay of his conviction, does he now is he able to come back into the United States? Mm-hmm. And and that question is still out there. Right. And we're going to see a lot, probably a lot more cases like this. Right. People who have been deported or who might be in the process of being deported. Uh, and, you know, some who have other drug convictions with, the, you know. Right. Yeah. This I mean, a single one. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that case was a, a, a unique one, but the Barnstable police, who who's handle really most of the drug cases on the Cape, the vast majority, go through their department. They say that there's really a lot more to come. So mm-hmm. when this first broke, we had six or seven um, cases that came up at, at Barnstable's district court and, and superior court, and they say there there is more to come on this, that mm-hmm. we haven't seen the end of this, and there may be um, people who have right. been in jail whose cases are dismissed. It, it may go on for quite quite a while. Yeah, I guess in when the beginning here, what we were seeing were people who were being, their cases dismissed, were they were waiting, awaiting trial. Right. And now I guess we're starting to look more at the people who are actually in jail because of convictions. Right. Actually, I think it's the other way around. Oh, is <laughs> Where it? they were, it was both because yeah. the people awaiting trial were often held. Mm-hmm. So they looked at the people awaiting trial who were being held and the people who had been sentenced mm-hmm. um, to prison. And now they're going to that, moving to the next tier of people who were convicted and maybe on parole or probation or had finished their sentence. Right. And um, just, you know, another complicated case that came up this week is that of Brandon Simpkins, who was convicted um, of three charges of, of drug uh, violations, but they put them all into one composite charge. So it was like one charge instead of three. Well, it turns out that two of the charges within that composite charge were involved evidence handled by um, Amy du- uh, Annie Dukin. And so... It, it, How would that impact a sentence? Well, yeah. so he was. They stayed the two sentences, those two sentences, but they won't let him out. And so his his lawyer asked the judge, "Well, could you take the stay off of those two convictions because he I want him to he wants to get credit for time served." Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of complexities, like yeah. you say, and um, more to come. Exactly. And I guess it's going to cost at least thirty million dollars wow. to figure this yeah. out. Well, an unmanned robot was sent underwater where the twin light scallop boat sank off Race Point in Provincetown. We still have no idea if the captain was trapped inside the boat. Right. They deployed the uh, state police, um, like you say, underwater robot um, earlier this week. They went, the the, the wreck is about um, 200 feet under 
um, underwater in um, about two miles north of of Provincetown, and these are pretty um, the, the um, dangerous waters, I guess, because there's um, tides are uh, move, the currents are moving. St- strong in either direction and so they couldn't send divers down there safely the cameras on the uh, robot did identify the the boat as the twin lights they suspected it was by using radar but this they could look at the number registration Mm -hmm. numbers but when they went to the investigate the pilot house because of the murky water they couldn't determine whether or not that um, the body of of captain gene fortier was actually Mm -hmm. in the pilot house house, which is where he was last seen before the boat went down um, on November 18th. Yeah, such a sad story. Well, and one thing that this story points out also is that this area happens to be sort of a hotbed for these companies that make these ROVs, these remote Mm -hmm. operating vehicles. And of course, the most famous one was Huey's Alvin that helped find the Titanic. But this is absolutely where you go if you want one of those. So Mm -hmm. um, they were able to use some of this this top um, technology to to look at the the ship. And one of the other interesting things is really quick is that the Coast Guard is not in the business of of either salvaging a wreck or getting retrieving bodies. So mm-hmm. um, that now is, you know, the family, the friends, the insurance company. It seems to be that's where that's shifting to now. So it'll be, we'll just have to see, see yeah. uh, what happens. Well, Mashby Wampanoag have to be disappointed. Uh, a bill that would have pushed them farther along in their quest for a casino stalled in the U.S. Senate. Right. This is the so-called Carcieri fix. It was um, named after, actually, the Rhode Island governor who challenged um, a Narragansett, um, an attempt by the Narragansett tribe to have land put into trust. Um, In 1934, the Supreme Court ruled that um, that. Uh, the 19 uh, excuse me in 2009 the supreme court ruled that a 1934 law that prohibited the us government from putting land into trust for any tribe not recognized before 1934 or in federal jurisdiction before that time the wampanoags ha- were recognized um you know i think it was 2007 or 2008 i can't really remember but um recently few, <laughs> recently and it was far you know was beyond 1934 and Although the Wampanoags say we were in federal jurisdiction and we can prove it, you know, um, prior to 1934, having this carcieri fix really kind of clears everything. That um, they there there's a worry that if the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs or the Interior Department does grant the land into trust application that they have before them for 140 acres in Taunton, on which they want to build their casino, and another 170 in Mashpee, that without that without the carcieri fix, that there could be legal action taken mm-hmm. against um, that action right. and ver- and slow down, again, um, mm-hmm. the casino right. project. So, again, another we have to wait and see. Right. <laughs> that's and, a big sticking point for them, though. Right. I mean, that's something that has to be fixed before they can they can get that land and build that casino. And also um, negotiating a new compact right. with the state, which um, yeah. the original one was rejected by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Right. Exactly. Well, five armed service members from Mashpee lost their lives in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And there's an effort now to uh, place memorial garden plaques in the town's memorial garden. Right. 
Mashpee, um, small town that it is, actually on the Cape has the most, the highest number of of war dead from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And there's a movement now. Um, actually, there's going to be a fundraiser at 7 p.m. at Dino Sports Bar on Saturday to raise money to purchase plaques for each of the five um, soldiers, excuse me, soldiers, Marines. I don't know if there was a sailor, but um, mm-hmm. who perished. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to the families because they want their their loved ones remembered and their service remembered. And the garden does have plaques of other, of other war dead mm-hmm. uh, from other wars. So they're hoping that they can raise money as to put these plaques and also kind of raise awareness when there are um, memorial ceremonies within the town to get more people to come. And, right. Yeah, because there's a low turn. And, and these five families, I, I'm not sure that they've actually come together publicly before and to share their memories. Uh, so they're, they're going to be doing that tomorrow right. night as well. Well, every town has their memorials. And right. it's interesting, the town of Barnstable, they recently did a project to look at some of these memorials who might that, that that are on roadsides and people might not even notice them anymore and find out actually who the who the soldiers were and it was an interesting project that goes that um, some of these plaques go back more than a hundred years mm. and so we're it's almost easier if if towns put the, all the plaques in one place but that hasn't always been the case right. and, and you'll actually see these plaques on roadsides all over Cape Cod and sometimes you wonder who was that yeah. person what an interesting project that would be to to research their stories and put them in in one place where you could you could access them definitely, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, one of the we should say that hopefully they're, they're going to raise this money for the plaques, and they're looking at April sometime for the dedication uh, uh, ceremony. And the families are saying, you know, please come. Right. You know, we did um, interview um, all the Gold Star families on Cape Cod. Uh, they're sixteen uh, last last spring, and Karen McGuire, whose son uh, Daniel was nineteen when Marine when he was killed, uh, told our reporter, "I it it I don't want people to not speak his voice, mm-hmm. I, be, speak his name. That speaking his name means he's not forgotten, and right. I think it's really important to the families that." that their loved one be remembered, that their service be remembered. Absolutely. So News Roundup, we're talking about the region's top stories of the week with Ann Brennan, Assistant Managing Editor of Digital Media at the Cape Cod Times, and Laura Reckford, Editor at the Barnstable Enterprise. Well, earlier this week, uh, Barnstable police dismantled the tents and tarps that were uh, put up in Hyannis over the last year by the area homeless. Right. They... um this involved 14 campsites that were in areas of, of Hyannis um, off Old Colony Road and um, Yarmouth Road, that area. And they, I guess, went and did a kind of a census of, of these camps about two weeks ago and warned people were going to be coming in to take them down. Winter's coming and encouraged them to try and get um, some services like from the NOAA shelter and other service providers in Hyannis mm-hmm. uh, because they're worried that, I mean, we have had deaths in the past. What they found, though, was you said, you know, tents, clothing, dishes. In one case, there was a so-called camp where there was clothes on hangers, there was medicine. Um, mm-hmm. It's very organized. And they working with um, some inmates from the Barnesville County uh, Correctional facility, the DPW workers and the police, they did did dismantle them. They said that they um, threw away things that were not of value and kept things that were and are going to try and return them to the people that they those items Mm -hmm. belong to. 
Well, and as I was walking around that day that they were dismantling the campgrounds, I happened to run into a woman named Charity Marsh. And uh, Charity had lived in the woods off Old Colony Road. She's 37. Um, She's had problems with addiction. She grew up in Marston's Mills, attended Barnstable High School, transferred to the tech school um, with a concentration in cosmetology. But over the years since then, Um, Unfortunately, her life has taken some unfortunate turns. Um, She does attribute it to her addiction. She says she's trying to deal with it, goes to AA, goes to Narcotics Anonymous. Um, But that's where she lived, Old Colony. And she said, unfortunately, now those people displaced um, now have to find other places to live. And what had just happened when I ran into her was that um, her fiancé, and they were living in the woods off Main Street, um, another homeless person had attacked her fiancé. He ended up in the hospital. She was trying to get to Cape Cod Hospital to to visit him. Um, So these types of things do have repercussions. She said that um, she tries to stay in the NOAA shelter in Hyannis when she can, but there simply are enough beds. When they get there, they draw chips to see who gets in. Not everyone gets in, and then you have to find a place to stay. For her, for the last six months, it had been those woods off Old Colony Road. Mm. Um, Now she needs to find another place to live. Yeah, it's a terrible problem. Well, a, a large portion of a vacant motel in Harwich was destroyed by fire. Neighbors think it may have been started by someone who broke in looking to get out of the cold. Right. This is a Stone Horse Motel, which has been vacant since 2009, since it was purchased at auction by a Chestnut Hill company, Chestnut Hill mm-hmm. near in Newton. And um, they had originally planned to build condominiums, decided that the market for condominiums on Cape Cod wasn't very good at this point and was we're focusing on its Boston uh, properties. But in the meantime, neighbors were saying, as you said, that they would see people go in, um, stay there, you know, transients, maybe homeless people, and that it, it had been an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the Chestnut Hill Company, they had just signed a contract with a, with a broker to sell the property um, in a, f- a few days prior to this fire. Um, yeah. and, and we recently had the you know the fire started right. at the the ball field there from s- some young people trying again get out of the cold. We've had several right. arsons lately, and 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 several of them have been from uh, due to they've decided the police believe that they were homeless people who set them. And as you said, in the the um, at the field near the old colony woods because it was a cold and rainy night, mm-hmm. and three teenagers were trying to get out of the um, out of the weather, and yeah. they went in, into they brought their their mattresses into the um, the announcer's shack at right. the at the field. Yeah. Well, uh, Lord, uh, we have some uh, an issue with what they're calling problem properties in uh, in Hyannis. Tell us what's going on there. Selectmen are looking. Well, I mean, town well, councilmen the, are looking at this. Yes. Well, the 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 overall the overriding um, theme here is they call them problem properties. It's five ordinances that have to do with noise, overcrowding, and blighted properties, essentially. And the town council was set to deal with them earlier this month. But uh, because of a, a posting error, they have to now do it at their next meeting, which is next Thursday. A lot of people have come out against these ordinances, and we'll see. The debate should be interesting. There should be a lot of people coming to public comment to, to talk about them. What we're mainly hearing is that people feel that these ordinances are discriminatory against low-income people. 
um, because if the blighted property, so I might not be able to afford to to keep the property as as neat as they would like. Um, the other thing is uh, uh, business owners who have their summer workers housed together in properties in Hyannis, for instance, or in the other places in the town of Barnstable. They might have more than uh, the usual number of people in those houses. Though that will not be able to happen under this ordinance. And the other thing we have are people who sort of on the other end of the political spectrum who feel that ordinance of the ordinances of this type do infringe upon people's property rights. Um, and so we have really people on the, the liberal side and the conservative side coming together against this. At the same time, these ordinances were put together by members of the Hyannis Civic Association trying to deal with these blighted properties, these problem properties. And in particular, one aspect is if a property, um, if there's police calls on a property more than three times in a year, the uh, property owner has to play, pay for that police service. A similar ordinance actually is being floated in Boston right now, mm. and it's it's a way that urban areas try to deal with that, putting putting the onus on the property owner to maybe screen the renters more. People say the the people opposed to that ordinance say that you're you're putting the onus on people when there are all these renters' rights that they can't get around. Mm. So there's there's no way for the property yeah. owner really to deal with that. That's going to be a lively meeting next week. I Definitely. think. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, lots of opinions there. Well, WMVY announced this week that their radio frequency has been bought, and the radio station is now focusing its effort on becoming an Internet radio station. I have, right. to, I have to admit, it's the only music station I listen to. <laughs> I'm well, sad. they're hoping to survive. Yeah. Uh, I although hope so. Their future, I hope they can. Yeah, this is, the purchase was made by WBUR, a national public radio um, outlet in Boston. And NBY um, has... Um, an interesting history. It started in uh, about 1980, 81, and um, has always had kind of a um, wide range of genres. They've also, you know, Carol King and James Taylor have ties to the station, performed there. But they also had artists like John Mayer, Lou Reed, Judy Collins, you know, kind of much different, but um, came and performed. And um, In 1998, the station was bought by um, a Rhode Island company, and that same year, they launched their internet Mm -hmm. um, radio um, streaming, which they were kind of a pioneer in yeah. that. And as time went on, especially in during the recession, you know, advertising sales slumped um, for the uh, radio side. And um, so they formed a Friends of MVY uh, for the Internet side. Mm-hmm. They, they made that a nonprofit. And according to a spokesman for the station, there there was confusion between the radio station and the nonprofit internet station. And as I said, um, and during the recession, the advertising revenue slumped. So they decided that they would sell the station and um, try to make a go of it on the internet side. They are, they need to raise about six hundred thousand dollars in two months if they're going to be able to do that. If if they're if they're able to do that, the owner. Um, that did of the station that sold to BUR um, has agreed to uh, give them the um, the MVY folks the um, Tisbury Studio its programming and um, 
other assets that are not part of the WBUR sale. Well, I agree with you, Mindy. This was the only music station I'd listened to. And the thing about it that made it so different, this local, local, local. I mean, it was consummate. Mm -hmm. And then the old style kind of station where the DJs actually pick the music they play. Most stations don't do that anymore. anymore. I mean, yeah, way back when, when I was a DJ, and you you had the personality of the DJ as part of the program. That is actually completely unique now. You don't find that really anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Good luck to them. Let's keep our fingers crossed that they can they can raise the money that they need to do that. Uh, there are more nesting pairs of plovers in our region, but the bad news is fledglings from the nesting season are at a record low. Right. This uh, there was a big storm on June third that wiped out piping plover nests up and down the Atlantic coastline, and many of them on Cape Cod. And um, what they saw was the number of nesting pairs had increased, although the number of nesting pairs had increased by 3 to 4% to 680, they saw a drop in the number of fledglings because once the first nests were wiped out, um, the, the, the pairs came back and laid more eggs, but there were a lot of predators at that time that foxes and other animals who ate those eggs. And, um, not a good year for the right, plows. and normally they're looking for in order to for the more ne- for the plover population to increase, they're looking for one point two to one point two five uh, fledged or chicks who can fly uh, per nest. Uh, this year it was point seven, mm. so um, it was a big reduction, and um, they're. You know, they got a t- tough row to hold here. I mean, they're they're so tiny. They're like right. little tiny cotton balls. I mean, you can you can see it, but you you don't hardly see them. They blend right in. And it, it was very interesting, actually, as Anne said, that this storm in early June came, and on Sandy Neck, for example, there was only one plover egg left, mm. and that because of that egg, that beach was closed for one for month. One egg, as yeah. as they as they <laughs> kept watch on that egg, and the staff at Sandy Neck was was full on watching that egg, and it was a um, a family of foxes that took care of all mm-hmm. the other eggs. And then what they also found this this um, summer, and and I hadn't heard this before on Sandy Neck, is that they had a, a fisher cats there, yeah. the mm-hmm. fishers um, that also took care of some of the eggs. And so this one egg went, but because there was only one, even though that kept a large section of the beach closed for some amount of time, most of that beach was open. And so that led to what we heard this week at the Sandy Neck Board, um, or last week at the Sandy Neck Board, was that record um, uh, permit sales for Sandy mm-hmm. Neck, and it has to it's attributed directly to the, the lack mm-hmm. of plovers. Mm-hmm. We have some research being done in West Barnesville that could have a big impact on fish farming worldwide. This is right. an interest. This is interesting research here. Right, and it's interesting that there's a um, the blue the nine acre blue streams fish farm. Um, as our reporter said, a lot of people don't even know that it's there. Mm-hmm. They breed trout, um, brown brook, rainbow tiger, and tiger trout for sale to uh, private ponds and fish derbies, but also to science. And there is a um, Aaron Bombridge, Brom, Bromage, excuse me, is a biologist um, from UMass Dartmouth who has been doing research on uh, vaccines and studying the immune system of fish and how that evolved So and how it's different from humans because um, in order to feed the world's population, fish farming is becoming more and more important. And when you get that many fish together, disease is a big issue. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out 
you know, how a fish immune system works. For example, a fish gets all its energy uh, to fighting um, a disease, uh, unlike humans, where part of the body will fight a disease, but the rest of it is working on other things. And so he's, he's working it, on What it. I found really fascinating here was the fact that in m- most fish farms, they have to vaccinate the fish, and they find right. in this farm, they do not. So, you know, you want to go, what's going on in this farm that their fish are so healthy? Right. Well, smaller. Smaller, mm-hmm. because they say like an art, um, uh, the largest Idaho fish farm produces 24 million fish a year or 50,000 pounds a day. The the Blue Stream uh, produces 30,000 fish a year, which is eight to 10,000 pounds a year. So is smaller one of the things yeah. that's at issue here? Yeah. Really interesting. Well, it's a big weekend. Uh, Barnstable High's football team is on the way to the Super Bowl. Right, with a uh, 28 to 7 trouncing of um, their opponent, um, Lincoln Sudbury, who they lost to by one point last year. They're feeling <laughs> very good about um, going to the 1A uh, Super Bowl division. Um, they'll be playing Everett, which routed their opponent last um, last earlier this week, um, 42 to 14. So <laughs> they're saying it's not going to be a cakewalk, but right. they're really... And they get Jazz. to play at Gillette Stadium, which is well. Very it's cool. just this is a very special team. What everyone says about this team, and they, they've been playing together since they were seven or eight years old. Many of them on the Silver Bullets that they've grown up together. It's a, a selfless, selfless team that they help each other out. They each know what they're going to do. And and while there's a lot of athletic talent on the team, certainly, but there's also a lot of heart, and they care about each other. And and the way they play is is very unique. And they have and their coach Chris Widden. He doesn't let them celebrate after their wins for too long. You, you can celebrate <laughs> overnight, and that's back that's to it, work back the to next work. day because it, there's a game to be played. Yeah. And so he had a goal at the beginning of the season to knock off these teams one by one. We've got one team left. That sounds, and, sounds a little bit like Coach Belichick, doesn't yes. it? We'll take one game at a time. <laughs> um, and right. they, they, have, they haven't been there in a while, uh, Super Bowl. 1999 was the last time, so good luck to the Red Raiders. Well, I think the Patriots could use their defense because the Red Raiders <laughs> limited the Lincoln Sudbury to five first downs and 79 yards in the entire game. Wow. So. Well, they're, they're undefeated this year, and right. if they win, so that's 11 games that they've won. If they win to, uh, Saturday's game, they will have won 12 games, which will be the most games that any Red Raider team has won in the history of the oh, program. Good luck. Um, also, busy weekend. We've got all kinds of holiday celebrations happening this weekend. Holly Follies in Provincetown. Uh, we've got Christmas Stroll in Nantucket. Uh, the Falmouth Christmas Parade and the Pancake Breakfast, the whole weekend thing happening here in Falmouth. We've also got holiday uh, strolls and celebrations in Harwich, Brewster, Ketuit, Hyannis. And there's an interesting one in West Barnstable. Well, West Barnstable is maybe the most low-key one of all because they stand around the tree that's in front of the West Parish Meeting House, the meeting house that was built in 1717. And there's sort of an eerie glow about it as everyone lights a candle and stands around the tree. Very, very quiet, very low-key, completely non-commercial. So there's a, really there's a Christmas celebration or a holiday uh, event to suit every taste this weekend, I would exactly, say. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, if you've looked at holidays at Highfield, they did the decorations. Oh, we beautiful. had some pictures in the yeah. paper today. It really is beautiful. Yeah, and I should mention Katuit, where Santa shows up by boat at at three forty five. Santa's got tomorrow. a busy weekend yes. because yeah. he shows up here in Falmouth. Is this, I think it's that's Sunday? right. He shows yeah. up in Falmouth, well, Falmouth by, maybe boat also. by boat, and then he's of course is the highlight at he's, the end of the parade on Sunday. He's all over the place, right? And then. Right. Uh, Finally, this morning, Edward Hopper's painting, October on Cape Cod from 1946. 
sold for nine point six million. Right, and this is um, this is a painting. I guess it's rare because, in the sense that um, a collector had put it up for auction. A, a lot of them are um, at a museum in New York and um, the Whitney Museum in New York, and um, so yeah. And then an anonymous buyer who put up that nine point six right. million. So right, a lot of money. Well, enjoy the weekend. Uh, Ann Brennan, assistant managing editor of Digital Media at the Cape Cod Times, and Laura Reckford, editor at the Barnstable Enterprise. Thank you both. Thanks, Thank Mindy. You. I'm Mindy Todd. Thanks for listening. The Point airs weekdays at 9.30 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. We're also on Facebook at The Point, WCAI. The Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Dan Tridel. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. The Point is a production of the Cape and Islands NPR stations, a service of WGBH.